Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us today. Today, we're lucky to have in the studio uh, Shannon Swift. Uh, Shannon's the founder and CEO of Swift HR Solutions. Shannon, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe and Mike. Glad to be here. For sure. Now, Shannon, so for those in the audience who haven't heard of Swift, I mean, I think there might be a couple people in the, the Seattle community <laughs> who haven't heard of your company, but tell us about it. So SwiftHR Solutions was started in uh, March of 2004, and the whole purpose of our um, starting the company was to support Seattle's early stage clients. And um, really, it's it's some super exciting startups, um, and typically two employees to 150 is where we focus. We've worked with about 300 super exciting Seattle startups um, in the time that we've been around. And uh, so we provide an outsourced HR service that's very unique. We actually look and feel like our clients have hired a full-time HR professional. Um, our team is all seasoned generalists, so all 15 to 30 years experience, um, VP level, have been in the boardroom. And so our clients that are starting out um, would never be able to financially you know, justify having that kind of talent on board. But we come on on a dedicated day a week basis and provide full-time access through phone and email. We're on the org chart. Um, we look and feel like a part of the member, a member of the management team. And, uh, and so and when we do what we do well, our clients forget that we um, have other clients. They think that we're completely working just with them. Yeah, that's great. And that comes with, so the, 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 this, tell us about this this HR in a box thing. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we have a couple of different, um, and I have to say, I, I married well. Um, my maiden name was Smith, and so we've definitely maximized on this whole Swift name. Um, and so uh, so Swift HR in a box, we developed in our first year of business. And it had been in my head for about um, 10 years at that point. So when I would start working with an early stage company around 15 to 20 employees, they already had had some issues that had distracted them from the business. And so I thought, well, there must be a way to, you know, to help them not make mistakes right out of the gate. And so over the course of our first year of business, I actually was fortunate enough to work with an ignition-backed company, um, the two founders, and they helped me to create uh, the product. Um, so essentially, it's every form, process, checklist, and template that a startup needs to self-manage HR. It comes with hand-holding, and they actually helped me develop the pricing model, which is a six-month purchase period, and then um, and then they also provided the um, support model. They said, you can't just give this to us and walk away. You've got to stick around and hold our hand. So, um, so through the HR in a box um, model, we have supported some very early-stage companies here in Seattle. Ontella was was one of our early ones. Um, Zumobi. Um, so we've got a lot of uh, a lot of folks that have the box on their windows or, or uh, bookcases still today. Um, but uh, but that was kind of the the purpose of that. Yeah, that's a great that's a great idea. That's a great idea because I know that a lot of people struggle to find the right uh, document for the right situation. In fact, I uh, I have a. I tell people all the time, I'm like, hey, look, if you're afraid of lawyers or you're afraid of professionals, at least call one of them and get the checklist. <laughs> so you know, if you're gonna try to do it yourself, at least at least start with the complete list of everything that needs to be done. Because yeah. what's really painful is when like client goes off and does something and they do like three of the nine things. Or exactly. Exactly. I, and, you know, really for us, it's also about being very stage appropriate and culturally fitting. So, you know, we have a lot of times where we come into a, a company with 10 people and they say, oh, but we have a handbook and it's 36 pages long. And I'll say, OK, throw it away. And here's an appropriate you know, size and stage for you. It's three or four pages. We call it an employee guide. So it covers everything legally we need to cover. But it, it also is just very practical. You know, here's how we get paid. Here's how time off works. Um, we address things in a very proactive fashion. You know, oftentimes a founder doesn't think about, well, what are we going to do? 
you know, we have a, a, a bereavement leave request or a jury, jury duty? How are we going to handle those? And so we just proactively help our clients right out of the gate, figure out what those decisions are, what the right decisions for them are, lay them out, and then they, they don't have to be reactive mode when, when a situation comes up. Yeah, that's a pretty funny, um, Mike and I uh, have the same thing. We have a lot of early stage clients, and then you're always trying to calibrate your approach to the to the situation. Exactly. So the, yep. the, 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 the monster employee handbook for the five-person startup is sort of the one of the examples of sort of like, ah, I don't really need that yet. Yeah, exactly. You know, and a lot of our founders come out of like some really exciting, successful companies here in town. And so when they start out, they're they're used to having a lot of very robust processes and programs, and they think that that's what they have to have. And so it's really fun to be able to say, you know what, you don't really need that. You just need this. And, you know, keep it very simple, very practical, and again, stage appropriate for them. Right. right. Mike, does this sound familiar? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious to know, uh, you know, in, in the times that I've worked with uh, startups, especially at the small stage, um, you know, there's kind of this period of time where you start hiring your first couple employees, and you don't exactly know what the process looks like. What, what do you normally tell people when they're when they're transitioning from, you know, a group of founders to hiring their first outside, you know, non-founder employees? You know, what are the things they need to be thinking about? What What are the things on that checklist? Actually, my favorite stage is right right then. And uh, so one of the things, so first of all, right out of the gate, I like to have founders think about their philosophies around a few things. So one is compensation. What's our philosophy around compensation? Um, what's our philosophy around benefits? What's our philosophy around hiring? And then um, and then really scoping out an early set of, of values. So what's our culture? Who are the people that we want to be surrounding ourselves with? And what are the kind of attributes that we want to keep out of this environment? And then, uh, and then really articulating those from the very beginning. Then we um, lay out a hiring process. So that, you know, here are all the stages of the hiring process. How do we want to accomplish each one? Who's going to own it? Um, just to make sure that they know exactly, you know, what we need to do in terms of, of getting from identifying an opening to getting the right person on board um, and making sure that that culture screen is in place. Because I think um, one of one of my um, favorite quotes from from an early client was, um, people hire, for, they're hired for what they know and they're fired for who they are. And so, so the most important, um, the most important thing to focus on really at that earliest stage is the right person, the right fit for the culture. And, uh, and so that's, that's really getting that right is just going to save so much pain and misery down the, down the road. Yeah. I have a feeling, you know, most companies at that stage are just kind of flying by the seat of their pants Exactly. and, and, uh, you know, they, they're, they're looking to make that first hire. They're probably not thinking much about culture. They're just thinking about, you know, Oh, we found somebody that can do this job. Exactly. Yeah. And I think even, you know, around that, making that first outside hire and, you know, I had a, a client that was uh, his first hire, he was going to hire a, somebody out of Google and it was a $300,000 engineer. And I said, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, you know, that's, that's crazy to have, you know, that kind of a salary for your first hire. And he said, well, that's what it's going to take to get him. And I said, okay, well, let's just back up here. You know, is he going to be your VP down the road? No, no, I'm going to hire, have to hire above him. And I said, well, what's that guy going to make? And he said, oh. And so, you know, really what we were able to do is kind of structure, you know, some hiring ranges that made sense for the role and then build in some incentives based on milestones for him to accomplish his first year to, to hit that number that he needed 
to get to attract the guy. Um, and then we also use equity and, you know, kind of sold the the uh, the potential of, of how the, the employee should look at that from that early stage equity. But putting together, you know, a whole, a whole package instead of just like, oh, okay, I have to do a $300,000 salary. So I think, you know, founders have so many things on their minds. They've got so many balls in the air. And it's really fun for us to be able to come in and take this one off of their shoulders and just help them, you know, lay a foundation that is going to carry them forward in a very smooth fashion. Um, you know, and really our goal is that our clients are not disrupted or distracted by HR. They're just completely, so it's quietly working and supporting them in the background. And so, so a few of these early decisions can really impact the outcome for, for them. Does, uh, does your HR service, like, does include things like like managing payroll, or is that something that a different type of service would cover? Like, I, we use, um, my company uses paychecks for that sort of thing. It's kind of just a, uh, I don't know, it's it's like, um, I, they don't do a whole lot, but they kind of process the, the documents. When somebody brings in, like, an outsourced HR, is that the kind of thing that gets brought kind of in-house, or, or do you still outsource it to some other company? We, to- we usually outsource payroll to another company, and, you know, Payroll Solutions is a local company here that we do a lot of work with. They're very high service and take great care of, of our early-stage clients. Um, we have a lot of clients using Gusto, which used to be Zen Payroll. Um, so we, from the HR standpoint, you know, typically we'll, we'll conduct, um, we put together an orientation framework so that the employees have, you know, everything they need right out of the gate when they start to, to be successful. And then we'll communicate what's needed to, you know, to the payroll um, provider or, um, or uh, the benefits broker, you know, when we work with benefits broker to put a benefits plan together. So we just make sure that all the information gets to the right, the right place for processing. How, how, how common is the sort of um, co-employer approach in, in Washington? I know so talking about companies like Trinet and there are others, I'm sure, I think the, I get the sense those are much more popular in California than they are here. Yeah, that's a great question, Joe. I actually opened the Trinet office here back in the late 90s. And okay. F5 Networks was my first client with 10 people. Um, and so the reason that um, that I left, so I, I had their first successful branch office. We had about 28 companies. And what I found for Washington is we have state industrial workers' comp and unemployment. In other states, you actually have to purchase those oh, insurances. Okay. Um, so that right out of the gate is one of the reasons that PEOs are, are used in other states. And then Washington has always had just an incredible amount of, of benefit options here. So through health trusts that we've had, the WTIA has a great health trust. Um, there have been a variety of those over the years that even with just five employees, you can get amazing benefits options. Where in other states like California, where Trinet started, they really didn't have the, those options for small companies. And so so what I find is is Washington is not a great, a great place to have a co-employment relationship. Um, it's a very convenient situation when you turn the key hiring your employees, but it quickly gets very very, uh, very uh, cost prohibitive. Huh. And it's very difficult to get out of the relationship because of that co-employer relationship. And so you basically want to wait until the end of the tax year to do it. You have to then start all over with I-9 forms and setting up a new health plan and setting right. up a payroll provider. Um, so I think if a company is going to maybe stay five employees forever, it might make sense for them to go with that route. But if a company is planning to grow, um, it's it's really going to, to be a huge disruption down the road. Right. And the way that one of my clients, um, I've been brought in several times to get uh, companies out of that relationship and uh, because I know all the things that have to be undone. And one of my clients, the way that he described it was, you know, you're building your plane out on the runway and you just get ready to take off and then you have to rip the engine out and start over again. Right. And, you know, our service, what we do is we're just month to month. We just, we get the, get our client in the air and just drop off and, and off they go. Right. So. Because it's really, I mean, once you've got your processes in place, hiring somebody is really not incredibly difficult. I mean, you've got, there's things you need to do, but. 
Yeah, and that's where it actually gets fun for us. So, so when a company really starts to ramp and grow, is we get into really some of those strategic issues, and you know, how do we differentiate ourselves from everybody else in town that's trying to hire the same resources that we are, and how do we differentiate ourselves as an employer where you know our team wants to stay, and when they get calls from recruiters, they're not getting they're not getting pulled out. And right. so, um, so for us, that's 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 where it gets really fun is is when we're we're able to really impact um, you know those those longer term strategies and and uh, create efficiencies and effective. And then we also have, uh, so we have two other business lines. Swift Leadership is another box product um, that is a set of modules. So as, as our clients start to grow, typically around 50 to 60 employees, they start to promote their first employees. And that's another kind of one of those milestones that, that early stage companies hit. So now all of a sudden you've got a bunch of young rock star engineers or other parts of the company that are now managing and have no clue what they're doing. And so, um, and they, they're managing their friends that they were peers with the day before. So uh, so we have a set of 30 to 60 minute modules that we just roll out on a monthly basis, so it's kind of a drip system, um, gets gets the team around a table. We learn a topic like conflict resolution or decision making, um, effective communication, and uh, and then we have leadership activities that we send them out of the room with and then come back the next month and dive into the next one. So um, increasing leadership capacity is another way that we really help our clients be very efficient and effective. And then we have Swift Talent, which is the same model as our Swift HR on-site. So we have a dedicated on-site recruiter that's doing full-scale recruiting. Okay. So yeah. So those are all of our SWIFTs, Swift Talent, Swift Leadership uh, in a Box, Swift HR in a Box, and Swift HR On-Site. Well, will, you do, uh, will you do just uh, miscellaneous or random consulting, or is it, does it always have to be sort of, are you busy enough that it's always like, no, we'll do that, we do this, this we do this, it's sort of the minimum is this, or will you come in and do, will you do random, random consulting projects? So there are thousands of HR consultants out there doing projects. And from the very beginning, we we kind of differentiate ourselves and said, you know, we are not a project company. Everything in HR touches everything else. And you can have this amazing compensation program that completely doesn't mesh with the performance management system that you had that was working well. And um, so everything really needs to kind of fit together. So we take a 10,000-foot view. That said, we do scale up or down. So we have clients that are literally just on phone and email with us. They know that we're always there if they need to reach out to us. We have others that scale up to two or even three days a week. Um, okay. And so as they're growing, we, we grow with them. Okay. Um, and so we Super flexible model, but um, but definitely have our arms around the entire function. Right. So you're not going to just drive by and give a few hours and then leave. No, that, that's, that's just not our. That's not us. Yeah. Helpful. That's not us. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. How do you? How do you? So, so do you, I imagine one of the, you probably. I see this some. Maybe you probably see it more. Employees asking questions about their stock options. Trying to understand them. How do you how do you how do you feel or help clients feel those types of questions? Yeah, and that's that's again, you know, really trying to anticipate every single thing that's gonna come up and and kind of systemically address it. So um, so that's one that that in an orientation program that we put together, we're gonna cover, you know, pretty much all of the the benefits, the options, you know, facilities, the company, the business. Um, and then when when I when I hand out stock option grants, I always ask the employee, you know, okay, now have you had stock options before? And if they say no, which is surprisingly common in our world, um, then I'll kind of explain to them, okay, well, let's just kind of step back and talk now. You know, here's the difference between a non-qual and an ISO. Um, you know, here's what this means as an early stage. We're a private company. These are not available on the market. So this is kind of a special special 
thing that only you get to get as an employee. Um, and here's your strike price. Um, here's what it means in terms of, you know, the expiration date. And here's some potential scenarios of what this can look like going forward. You don't have to do anything with it now, but just make sure that they understand exactly what it is that they've got. Um, and, you know, I'm able to generate some excitement about, about the, you know, the potential and let them see if you, if you're adding value to the company and the value, the value of the company is going up, you know, long term, this, this is going to benefit everybody. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Mike? What, what, uh, yeah, I was wondering, you know, you've seen a lot of things, right? So uh, with lots of different companies, what are some um, some mistakes you see people make early on? Um, you know, startups as they're transitioning between these various phases, you know, what are some things they should watch out for? Things that, that you've seen go wrong and you might be able to give some uh, some warnings about? Yeah, I think, um, you know, a couple of different different areas. And again, back to kind of laying out those early philosophies that, that you can avoid these things. But one is really not not focusing at all on cultural fit when hiring. And when you have a small team that's working together 12, 14 hour days, and you know, you get somebody that that is is uh, is really focused in a different way. So for example, you know, okay, collaboration is it describes us we, we work completely as a team. And we just, you know, if, if somebody needs help, somebody just jumps in and helps them out. And then you get one person that's kind of like, well, that's not my job. And, you know, this, this is what I do. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more of an individual animal and I want to go in my office and shut the door. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's really painful. And it, it's, it's, uh, it's usually a pretty painful, long drawn out process before it's the, the, the damage is really recognized and, and rectified. And, you know, the person is, is, uh, is, is helped on to their next, their next career. Um, so I think really focusing on, on cultural fit and involving the team in, in hires, especially those first ones that are, that are non friend and family kind of, kind of, um, family, you know, when I say family, it's kind of like the people that you've worked with in the past and you've, you've started this adventure together. So when you start to bring in people from outside, it's focusing on cultural fit and also on cultural fit from a perspective of, Hey, we're a startup and we're, you know, we need people that can be resourceful and adaptable. And if you have somebody coming out of a very structured environment, um, you know, focusing on that fit as well. Is, is this really going to be the environment that this person's going to thrive in? Um, and then I think another one is, um, you know, using... No, not using some initial boundaries with regard to hiring ranges for salaries and, and stock options. And so you might have a situation where somebody comes in and they're like, you know, I've made a bunch of money in the past with, with equity and I don't really care about salary. I just want, I just want equity. So you give them this huge, completely out of band grant, but then later salaries start to come in line and the company, the team grows. And now this person is getting a salary and they're getting increases, but their stock is just so completely out of whack. Um, and uh, so I like to always just have some initial hiring ranges, just some light ranges to say, okay, if we have, you know, somebody that cares not at all about salary, here's the minimum amount that they're going to get for this job. It still is going to make sense. And then, and then here's the the most equity that we'll do that still makes sense for this role. Um, so I think, you know, avoiding some of those early compensation mistakes, which are very difficult to change. If you're overpaying somebody uh, or if you've given them too large a grant, that's not something that's easily fixed. And so really giving some some thought and maybe building a pro forma ahead of time. Um, and then not being not being too swayed by where uh, somebody's coming from. I think there's kind of uh, sometimes people will say, oh, this person we're getting from, you know, from Amazon and, and you know, oh my gosh, they're going to come to our startup. But, you know, is that person really a fit and kind of overlooking, um, you know, the kind of not getting intimidated by, by backgrounds of, of certain degrees or certain, certain jobs that they've had, but, you know, really focusing on, is this the right fit? So those are probably some of the most common, I would say. That's you know, a, what do you, oh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, please go ahead, Mike. 
I was gonna I was gonna ask about so typically like in the businesses that I've worked on, my my inclination is to go with independent contractors kind of early in the business to keep things arm's distance and easy to to um, maneuver and, and keep the business flexible. What are what are some of the kind of advantages and disadvantages to hiring employees versus contractors? And what are, I mean, I assume when a company gets to be a certain size, you just kind of have to start bringing people in and 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 making them part of the team. But I mean, what are some of the reasons that people might want employees over contractors or vice versa? Um, you know, look, yeah. look up, what's the thought process there? Yeah. And that's actually something that comes up a lot. So I'm really glad you brought that one up. Um, so I think, you know, at the earliest stage before you have solid funding is a good time to, to use contractors. So you don't really want to commit to that long-term relationship. And you, you don't know if you're even going to be around, you know, for more than like three or six months. But uh, but I think that that if you see this role as an ongoing one that the company is going to need, um, you definitely should should uh, should make that an employee. Um, the way that I kind of look at, at um, independent contractors is, is it a project? Is this something that they're going to come in and do a specific thing and then, and then we don't need that thing anymore? Um, and so... You know, or if you need to, to ramp for a, a specific period of time, maybe you have a big project that you've got to get through, or you're just trying to hit a deadline, um, then you know maybe like a you know one month, a three month, maybe six month uh, contract. But if if it's really a, a genuine need that the company has on an ongoing basis, I, I always always recommend just you know getting you know going through an effective hiring process, spending the right amount of time to make sure you're getting the right person, and then bringing them on as an employee. Yeah, you, I always think think of employees as you know hopefully being a, a bit less expensive, uh, maybe uh, because you're you're committing to a longer term project. But there's a lot of costs involved that people probably that if you haven't if you haven't employed people, you don't realize all the sort of additional costs that go into having an employee beyond just the the salary. Um, could you maybe give us a, a thumbnail view of what that looks like? I mean, what so let's say you're hiring an employee and you want to pay them a hundred thousand dollars salary. Uh, what what should you be looking at as, in terms of the other costs that go along with that, including things like you know, uh, payroll taxes and, and the employer side of the tax situation. Um, I don't know, costs of uh, insurance and, and uh, office space, like maybe, maybe not office space. Cause that's sort of something that varies a lot, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I guess that when you're helping people budget for employees, what, yep. what kind of, what kind of a markup do you usually add on top of the salary to help them understand what it'll cost? Yeah. And what I, I usually, uh, usually, and this kind of comes back to the philosophies, the early philosophy. So how do we, you know, position ourselves relative to the market? And so for, for a, a benefits perspective, I'll say, you know, okay, if we're going to be at market for benefits, I usually say 20%. So that $100,000 employee, uh, we're going to have another nine, nine and a half percent for payroll taxes. So you've got, you know, FUTA and, and you've got FICA and social, you know, it's FICA O and FICA M. Um, you, so you've got workers comp unemployment. So I usually will just work with the finance department to say, okay, what, what amount do you want me to budget for, for payroll taxes? But it's usually around nine or nine and a half percent. And then your health insurance benefits, um, you know, if, if we're going to have just a solid health plan in place and maybe a small amount contributing toward dependent premiums, um, we've got time off, um, you know, you might have a 401k plan and those are going in place much earlier than they ever have before. There's just so many options that are available. The WTIA actually has a multi-employer plan that is so cost-effective that even a, even 
a startup can afford to get that in place. And so I just kind of like factor in all those things, looking at transportation, are we going to provide an ORCA card? And then I build out a spreadsheet that um, benefits as a percentage of payroll. Typically, 20% is, is what I what I recommend budgeting. If we want to be highly competitive, maybe 21 and a half, 22%. Um, but I, back to the contractor comment, I'm, I'm not sure that I really see, at least in our world, that contractors are, are really saving money. It's just a redistribution. So instead of that 20% going toward, you know, toward those costs, um, they're paying, you know, half of their social security um, as an employee. We're paying um, the other half. As a contractor, they pay the whole amount. And so, um, so really that, that 20% is, I, I think it kind of works out to be the same regardless, whether it's a, a contractor or an employee. But one of the other mistakes that I'll mention there is hiring a contractor without thinking about the next step. And so paying a contractor a really high hourly rate, and then when you want to convert them to a full-time employee, um, when it when it makes sense to do that, they're like, oh no, I don't I don't want to be converted now because I'm gonna be it's gonna be a big takeaway. So I usually when I bring in a contractor, if there's a potential that we're going to turn that into a full-time role, I always anticipate what that next step is going to be. And so so, uh, so we're going to, you know, make sure that the contractor is not making so much that it's going to be unattractive to them when we want to want to make them a full time offer. And and that's something that I think also, also as as early stage founders really thinking about next step for a lot of things. You know, setting up our initial health care plan. We're going to start with you know basics, but then next year if things are going really great, then we're going to add this. And then the next year after that, if the team cares more about this, then we're going to add that. So kind of knowing you know what what are what is our stage this year versus next year versus the, the year after. Um, and and that's that's something that can really avoid some big problems as well. But um, definitely on the hiring front, when you're working with contractors that that you want to bring on board full time. Wow. So how many people are on your team now? Oh, my gosh. So across <laughs> our I'm, – I'm having trouble keeping track. Um, and it's so funny because I didn't really set out to build a business. I just started doing this because this is what I love. I, I'm a startup junkie. I love working with early-stage companies. So we have 21 folks now, and uh, four of those are on the talent team. Okay. And so uh, so we've got 16 that are working across the leadership and the, the on-site and the HR in a box side. Okay. So, yeah, amazing group of HR talent from all over um, some amazing companies in Seattle. And it's really um, a lot of fun for our team to be able to work with a variety of different different companies and industries, um, primarily technology. But we, we have some nonprofits as well, and we've got um, we have some gaming companies. We've got you know kind of a, a big variety of, of industries now. Wow. Okay. So uh, if people want to find you, what's the easiest way for them to? To find you, yeah, our website is is uh, swifthrsolutions.com, and that lists all of it. There's pictures of all of us and contact for for us and and uh, information about all of our services. So for a long time, you were on the Enwin board, and then yeah. Enwin sort of got folded in, I guess, in some parts to the WTA. WTIA. Yeah. Are you on the WTA board now? Okay. I am. Yeah, I'm you on were the before, WTA though, board. Before though, weren't you? Or were you? I can't remember. We no, I boards? wasn't. Oh, okay. I, I actually wasn't on the WTA board before, and I've okay. actually gotten really involved with the Health Insurance Trust with the WTIA as well. And uh, and then I'm also on the Entrepreneur Organization Seattle Chapter Board. Okay, the so, EO board. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like the WTA. Uh, yeah, the WTIA has got some great. Um, for, Benefits. You know, if you've got yeah. a, a small company, a handful of employees. It sounds yeah. like that's the place to go to try to find some some health insurance. Yeah, and you team. know, I think you know, it's it's pretty exciting actually to see the the product offering that that um, that Mike and Michael are, are building over there. So um, not only the the health insurance plan that we have with lots of different options for for companies, even with just two employees, right? But um, but the multi employer four hundred one k plan is is super exciting as well. Yeah, so that's a, I mean that's a, that sounds like a great. Um, 
just a great service to the Seattle tech community. Definitely, definitely. Can, well, they do statewide. They'll do ever, anyone in the state, right? Yep. But are they bound by this? They're probably bound by the state, but they probably don't do anyone outside. You know, that's a really good question. I, I, I believe that, that all of our, um, the health insurance trust is just for Washington. Yeah. But I know, I mean, other employees in, in um, employees in other states are definitely covered. And oh, so, um, okay, yeah, yeah, so we, companies with multiple exactly. And more, more and more, we have uh, our clients just right out of the gate have multi-state employees. And so, yeah, so that the, the plan definitely covers employees across the country. Right. Super fun, Mike. Any, 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 any parting thoughts, questions, Mike? No, this is great stuff. I mean, it's a, uh, it's always interesting to hear about these different aspects. You know, a lot, I, I kind of, um, yeah, I don't think people stop often and think about, think about, you know, this, this phase of things and how to plan for it. So I appreciate your insight. This is great. Um, thanks for sharing it with us. Absolutely. And, um, yeah. And thanks everyone else for listening. We'll see you all next week.